Well, good morning. Like Terry said, welcome to River Glen. We're really glad that you guys are here. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, real quick, next weekend, we're going to start a new series. And this series is called Uncovered. And each week, we're going to take a look at a spiritual practice that's going to help us become more like Jesus. And some of these practices, they're kind of ancient and forgotten, and we don't really hear a lot about them in the 21st century. So we're going to uncover them one at a time, and we're going to talk about applying them to our lives today. This is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family as we start a new series. And then also on Thursday nights, every Thursday night at 6.30, there's a group that meets out by the fireplace, and they get together to discuss the message in more detail. So I want to encourage you, if you've ever thought about joining a small group or, or checking out that Thursday night group, go over and do it. You can just show up. You don't have to sign up. If you heard the message, that's all you need to do to be prepared. And if you didn't hear the message, you're welcome anyways. So come back for that. All right, over the past several weeks, we've been talking about things we fear. We're in this series called Insomnia, and we looked at things that can keep us up at night. And some, one of the weeks we talked about we're afraid that something bad is going to happen to us. Another week we talked about we're afraid that God is disappointed with us. We talked about what if I'm a bad parent. And then last weekend, Andy talked about the fear of death. And so today we're going to conclude this series and we're going to take a look at something that we all have experience with, something that can keep all of us up at night, and that's anger. Now, some of us might not want to admit that we have anger issues, but the person next to you can let you know if you do. It's, it's an emotion that we're all familiar with. And so our goal for today, our outcome, is to walk out of here realizing that we all experience angers and there are good ways to deal with our anger. And now I know that some of you people, right, some of you guys here today, you were an invited guest. Your friend said, hey, let's go out for breakfast and they tricked you and they brought you to River Glen. And you're not a follower of Jesus and you just love that worship set we just had and you're thinking that music is really good. But I want to encourage you to go ahead and to listen to the message because Christians don't have the market on anger cornered. It's something that we all deal with. And so if you just, you know, if you just pay attention, just go along with the message, I'm sure you'll get something out of this because today our headlines, just pick up a headline, pick up any newspaper, and the headlines just scream of anger. And so all of us could use some, some direction in dealing with anger. And I have an anger story Actually, I have a lot of anger stories, and I'm only going to share one of them. But I used to play a lot of golf, and I retired from golf several years ago. And I know the way the world works is you're supposed to retire and then start playing golf, but I didn't do that. And so about 12, 14 years ago, I, I used to play golf a couple of times a week. I, I went to the driving range every week. I, I, had, I took lessons. I had the best equipment that money could buy. And I just loved playing golf. It was actually probably more of an obsession th than a passion. And, and, and along the way, in the process, I became, you know, better than the average golfer. I, I could go out. I wasn't going to be on the PGA Tour. It wasn't that good. But I could shoot in the 80s. And for a long time, for many years, it was just so much fun getting together with my friends. We'd hang out on the golf course, and we'd play golf, and I'd go home with their money because I beat them. And then along the way, something just kind of subtly started changing. And I, was, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but golf was not as fun as it used to be. As I improved as a golfer, my scoring expectations also 
increased. And every time I went out to play golf, I wanted to play better than I did the time before. And if you play golf, you know that that's an unrealistic expectation. It's just not going to work that way. But I put all these additional pressures on myself. And, and if I hit a bad shot, I would just smack my club into the ground. And, and if you've golfed, you've done it. So don't look at me like I'm like crazy. I, I would use colorful words to describe the bad shot. And uh, golf was really becoming frustrating. And it wasn't the fun that it used to be. And, and, and I'd come home upset. And, and guys, our wives, they are filled with wisdom. So listen to your wife. I'd come up home upset. And Kelly would say, why do you play golf if it just makes you angry? Now, I don't remember the exact moment that I decided to retire. But I do recall hitting an errant tee shot and just watching it sail into the lake. The next thing I did is I took my driver and I just launched it. And if you've ever thrown a golf club, you know there is a symmetry, and it just helicopters down the fairway, and it actually is kind of cool to watch. It's almost like poetry in motion. And then it lands, and then everybody looks to see who threw that club. See, in that moment, golf wasn't fun. I didn't like who I became on the golf course because I had become an angry golfer. And so, and so that was, you know, that was 10, 12, 14 years ago. And today, I, I still play golf, but this now I only play a couple of times a year. I, st I still have that set of clubs. Every year on the 4th of July, my family, our extended family, we get together and we play golf, and we probably have more fun than you're allowed to uh, on a golf course. I hit some good shots. I hit some bad shots, but I always hit the bad shots. I, I don't smack clubs. I, I don't throw clubs. I don't use colorful words to describe those shots. Along the way, I've picked up some new hobbies, and, and I can promise you, I have never thrown my bike through the air. <laughs> now, we all get angry, and, and so we're going to start out. I want to take a look at a verse found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, it's easy to say, but it's harder to do. Did you hear about the couple that said they were never going to go to bed angry? And they haven't slept in five years. <laughs> Let's be honest. We live in an angry world, right? I said, right? So I thought maybe to kind of help figure out who needs this message today, a little multiple choice. I got a little quiz for us, just a few questions. And I thought we'd go through these questions, and you can gauge your level of anger. So here's the first question. When driving, how often do you use your horn? Would you say, A, rarely if ever? You're just the most courteous driver. You don't care if you get cut off. As a matter of fact, if somebody cuts you off and they start yelling at you, you intuitively know that they're a surgeon and they're on their way to the hospital and they're going to save someone's life. And so you just pray for them. Bless them, God. Or would you say B, as needed? It's kind of like a, a daily vitamin. Just, you know, once a day you go ahead and you beat that horn. Or would you say C, it is the most used part of my car? All right, second question. At a restaurant, how often do you complain about so slow service? Would you say, A, never? Because when you go out to eat with your friends, it's not about the food. It's about the companionship. It's about the hanging out. It's about catching up and, and all the talking. So who cares when the food comes? Would you say, B, only if the food is uncooked or there are too many hairs in it? 
or would you say see regularly? As a matter of fact, you go out to your car, you honk the horn until they bring you food. All right, last one. While waiting to check out in a grocery store express line, do you A, sit there, meditate quietly, kind of think about world peace, B, count to see if anyone has more than 10 items, or C, if they threaten anyone who looks like they're going to use coupons. We all struggle with anger. And one of the best passages in the Bible that helps us deal with our anger is found in James chapter 1. We're going to take a look at verses 19 and 20. James is the brother of Jesus, and he's one of the early leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And so James starts out the passage this way. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. And in other words, what James is saying is, what I'm about to say is really important, and I want to make sure that you capture this, that you get this, that you remember this, so you can apply it to your life. And then James goes on to give us some practical anger management tools. And in verse 20, he says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So it seems to me as if James is saying, before you lose control, before you throw that club, before you lose another night of sleep, before you start raging over all sorts of other people, James says, remember the results. Because our anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so I want to be clear. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. God gets angry. In fact, there are over 200 references in the Bible of God getting angry. For instance, in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to get angry and full of unfailing love. God has this righteous kind of anger that flows from justice, that hates evil. And we are made in the image of God, and so therefore we are wired to feel anger. Jesus got angry. Remember the time that Jesus went into the temple and he was so upset, his temper was flaring. The religious leaders, they were taking financial advantage of the people in the temple and Jesus goes in and he flips the table. Money's flying from the, through the air and he's driving all these animals out of the temple. Sometimes anger is a positive thing because it can energize us to do the right things. And there are some things in life that we should be angry with. Mothers against drunk driving, mad. Mad was started by an angry mother whose child was taken by a drunk driver. She took her anger and she focused it in a positive direction. But James is talking about anger that's not focused in the right way. The anger that does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And there's many negative consequences for that. We'll take a look at two Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. An angry person drives wedges between people. An angry person divides people. And a hot-tempered person, a hot-tempered person gets so upset that they sin in their anger. And mismanaged anger hurts families. Proverbs eleven twenty nine. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing left worthwhile. How many families do you know that have been hurt? 
I mismanage anger. All you have to do is look around and, and mismanage anger in our society to know that anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Each year, oh, over 1,500 people are, are killed or injured due to traffic anger. It is so common that we have a name for it. What do we call this traffic anger? Road rage. Mismanaged anger plays a role in almost every divorce. Even in marriages that stay together, there's often an emotional separation because of mismanaged anger. Parents who don't learn to control their anger, very often they wound their children who grow up to wound their children. And it's because those patterns just continue. And so it's no wonder that James says our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So before we throw a tantrum, before we flip a finger, before we throw a glass, before we hit somebody with an object, here's the key verse for this weekend. We're even going to memorize it. We're going to take a little scripture memory. You guys are going to walk out of here today with a verse memorized. So be excited. James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And, and because part of memorization is repetition, we're going to say this together a few times. Ready? Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's try it again. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now with your eyes closed, no screens. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those 14 words can change your life. They can change your marriage, they can change your relationships, and they can change your future. James says everybody should be quick to listen. In other words, James is saying reflect before you react. One of the great cures to our anger is to just simply pause. Before you speak, before you react, take time to reflect. Don't react impulsively. Proverbs 29, 11. This is the Good News Translation. Stupid people express their anger openly, but sensible people are patient, and they hold it back. That's saying that if you're wise, if you're sensible, chill out and wait before you react. Because the longer we wait, the easier it is to manage our temper. That's why people say to us, that's why they tell us, they say, hey, hey, take a deep breath and, and count to 10. The reason why they tell us to do that is because it works. See, anger is like having a smoke detector in your house. When the smoke detector goes off, it's not telling you that something's wrong with the smoke detector. It's an indication that something else is wrong. And so when you hear that high pitch, that wailing beep, you know that where there's smoke, there's fire. And so you've got another indicator, and that's why anger is often called the second emotion. It exists to tell us that something else is wrong, something else needs our attention. There's three primary things that lead to all anger, just as there's three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue, just as there's three tools for the architect, the line, the angle, and the curve, there are three primary emotions that lead to anger, and those emotions are hurt, frustration, and fear. All anger is a result of these three primary emotions. 
Anger comes along as a secondary emotion, as a result of hurt, frustration, and fear. So I'm going to give you a couple scenarios, and let's see if you can identify with what the root is at, at this anger. Let's say this morning you got up, and you were ready to leave for church on time. You were going to make it to River Glen, but the person that you're with, they weren't ready. And so now you're leaving the house late, and now you're speeding to get to River Glen because you just can't wait to get here to hear a message on anger. And in your hurry to get here, you cut off a couple people, you run through some stop signs, but you're here, and you made it on time, and you're about to pull into a parking spot, but somebody zips in and cuts you off. Now in that moment, a question pops into your mind, and you ask yourself, what is the appropriate gesture in a church parking lot? And so what emotion are you feeling at that point? Hurt, frustration, or fear? Frustration, right? You're just really frustrated. So let's just take this example a little bit further. You're already running late, so you just slam your brakes on the car in the middle of the aisle. You put the car in the park. You get out of your car. You go over and you knock on the window of that other car, and you got this mean, ugly look on your face. What emotion is the person in that car feeling right now? Fear. Right? They're like crazy person trying to hurt me. James says we can minimize so much anger if we reflect before we react, before we speak, before we start going off on someone. James says be quick to listen. And now think about it in your life. Has anybody ever left a relationship because they were genuinely listened to? Have you ever said, has anybody ever said, stop listening to me too much? No, of course not. We leave when we're cut off, when we're misunderstood, when we're manipulated. That's when we leave a relationship. But what would happen in our relationships if we were quick to listen? If we sought to understand the situation, if we tried to find out what was underneath, what was going on, what if we asked ourselves, is there some hurt? Is there some frustration? Or is there some fear here? If we would seek to understand before we seek to be understood, if we would reflect before we would react, so many good things could happen. So be quick to speak. And then James says, everybody should be I'm sorry, be quick to listen. You caught that. <laughs> be quick to listen. And then James says, everybody should be slow to speak. So what's he saying? He's saying before you let it blow, before you go off like a volcano, you need to restrain your remarks. Why is this so important? Why, why to be slow to speak rather than just let it fly? I mean, don't we feel better when, when we just let it fly, when we just let it vent? And now psychologists haven't been particularly helpful with, because about 35 years ago, a theory began to be popularized that when you get angry, you just need to get it off your chest. You just need to vent. How many times have you said to someone, I just need to vent, right? You just need to blow off some steam. You need to throw something. You need to hit something. You need to scream at something, because if you don't, eventually you're just going to explode like a volcano. And that sounds good. But what the research is pretty conclusively saying these days is just the opposite. And the reason is because venting is actually kind of fun. Because it makes us feel good when we vent. It makes us feel powerful. And so it just reinforces the behavior. And, and to show you what I mean, 
And I'm going to say the word yes in a moment, and I want you to just take all that inner anger that you have. When I say yes, you just come back and say no. And, and, and that person that made you late this morning, the one you're angry with, take that anger that you have towards them and just transfer it to me, just for this one time only, just transfer that anger to me. So I'm going to say yes, you're going to say no. You ready? Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. I said yes. Stop. I said yes. Now I'm going to stop because you guys are scaring me. Because right up here, somebody's getting out of their chair. So you guys did that really good. But the problem with venting is it feels good, doesn't it? It feels a little too good. It, it, it's kind of fun. And so the next time, you're more likely to do it. And, and another discovery the researchers have made about this venting stuff and this is going to surprise some of you, but most people do not like to be vented on. In other words, the ventilator has a lot more fun than the ventilatee. And venting isn't very effective. L let's say a guy gets cut off in traffic, and he's really mad, and he pulls up to the other car, and then he starts to vent, and he says, what kind of idiot are you? What were you thinking? Are you trying to kill me? You know, I, I ought to run you over. When's the last time you saw the person being vented on? When did you see him respond? You know, that's a good point. You have touched me very deeply here. <laughs> I want you to know that I'm going to change, and I am going to become a more courteous driver from this moment forward. I'd like to thank you for all those pointers. And that hand gesture, that was especially meaningful. All right, the research is pretty clear in this. Letting it fly venting, it's not an effective way to manage our anger because it only creates more anger. And, and the truth is, we manage our anger better when we're slow to speak, when we don't recklessly vent. Now, I want to add something to this because we need to be slow to speak to other people with what we're angry about. When we're angry at someone, we need to go directly to that person a lot of times what we do is we have this person that we're angry about, and so we go to someone else, and we start telling them. We go, we go we're angry at Bob, and so I think I'm just going to go talk to someone else about it. So instead of going to Bob, I go and I talk to Joe about it, and, and I think that's going to help my anger dissipate, but all it does is it just increases my anger. Instead of going directly to the person, I went to someone who I know would be sympathetic. They, they, they'd let me dump my frustration on them, and, and I could tell them how badly I've been mistreated, and then I could go on about what a horrible person this is, how, how unfair they are, how unjust they are, just they're this terrible, thoughtless human piece of garbage. And the more we do that, the angrier we become. Jesus had a far different plan for dealing with this kind of anger. When we're angry at someone else, he taught us that when it's done right, you go to the person that you're angry with. And Jesus taught us that that's the best way to do it. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. And then Jesus adds, just between the two of you. What would happen 
If every time we got angry at someone, instead of going to a third party and dragging them in and all that kind of stuff, what if we just went directly to the person and we said, hey, I haven't talked to anybody about this, but you and I, we have a problem, and I'm hoping that we can get on the solution side of that problem together. When we needlessly involve someone else in our conflict, the anger escalates, and now we have people choosing up sides, and then we drag them into it. And Jesus says, if at all possible, go directly to the person that you have unresolved anger with. And the healthiest thing that some of you can do is the very difficult thing of going to the person that you're angry with and going to them and to stop making excuses and just be slow to speak, restrain your remarks, and talk to them thoughtfully, wisely, and carefully. And James says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and finally, he says, everyone should become slow to anger. Now, YouTube, right? There's all sorts of video on YouTube, so I was looking for an anger video, and uh, these guys probably don't have this verse memorized, but a couple of Dallas fans after the last uh, Packer game. Let's take a look. did that after the Atlanta game. So how are we slow to become angry? We're slow to become angry when we reinterpret our rage. Our rage. Reinterpret our rage. In, in the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey tells the story about riding the subway in New York City on one Sunday morning. And he said people are resting and reading, and it was a very calm and peaceful ride. But then he said suddenly a man entered the subway, and the whole scene changed. His children, they were loud and rambunctious, and, and generally they were disrupting what had been a tranquil morning. And, and yet the dad sat idly by, seeming oblivious to the situation. Covey said he was irritated at the man's insensitivity to the other people around, and, and finally Covey spoke to him, and he said, Sir, your children are disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could just control them a little bit more. The man lifted his gaze, Covey wrote, as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time, and he said softly, You're right. I, I guess I should do something about this. We came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago, and I don't know what to think, and they probably don't know how to handle it either. Covey said in that moment, he suddenly saw things differently. He thought differently. He felt differently about that man and his children, and in that moment, he reinterpreted his rage. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays his folly. You demonstrate great understanding if you're patient with people. So you reinterpret the rage. The difficult people that we all have in our lives, they weren't just born that way. 
Somewhere along the line, they experience some hurt, some fr frustration, some fear, and usually very deeply. And, and some of you had difficult parents. Your parents were devoid of showing emotions. Maybe they were extremely strict parents, and that frustrated you. But I'll bet if you could look back, if you could dig just a little bit in their history and discover what their parents were like and what their brothers and sisters were like, you'd get a little more understanding of why they are the way you, they are. And that would help you reinterpret some of your rage. Maybe that boss that you work with, they're so difficult, they're so demanding, and they are so full of storm whenever they enter the room. Maybe they grew up in a house where they felt they would never measure up and they could never perform good enough and so they have this insatiable need to succeed. And that doesn't change anything about them. It doesn't justify their behavior, but it helps you understand him or her in the moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Love is patient. And patient people have great understanding. It's amazing that when you take time to understand a person, you, you can become more patient with that person. All, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just starts to change your perspective on these people, and it gives you a sense of compassion and patience and, and tolerance. And instead of losing your cool, you start thinking, how can I help them? Or how can I serve them? Because love is patient. <clears throat> My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Remember the results. What's the likely outcome of our going off? Reflect before you react. Take that deep breath. Do that count to 10. Restrain your marks. Restrain your remarks. Be slow to speak. Reinterpret that rage. What else is going on in that situation, in that moment that you don't know anything about? Can you imagine how different our lives could be if we would practice this? How much easier we would all be to get along with? So here's the homework, and you have it easier than the 9 o'clock service did because they were here earlier. But for the rest of the day, for the rest of the day, maybe even tomorrow, right, if you're a super overachiever, all the way till you get back here next weekend, or maybe go crazy, and for the rest of the year, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Jesus on the cross, he could have raged against the Romans and the Jews. He was innocent. They didn't give him a fair trial, but he looked past his anger, and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I don't think that means they were all immediately forgiven, but he offered forgiveness to anybody that would receive it. Jesus is the master of anger management. We need his presence and his power in our lives for us to become quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. So as we enter this time of communion, let's remember the example that Jesus set for us. Our communion is open for everybody. In just a couple minutes, the trays are going to go down the aisle and just pull out the cup, pull them apart. You've got the wafer on one side and you've got the juice in another. If communion's new to you and you want to let that pass, absolutely feel free to do that. But let's pray together, please. Lord, 
Thank you for this opportunity to just come out on a Sunday morning and to just hear some amazing praise and worship, God, that draws us closer to you. Thank you for the truth, God, in your word, the truth in scripture, that if we apply those words to our lives, we can be changed people. And as we become changed people, God, through your power, we can change others. We can help change others to draw them in a relationship with you. God, and just a few minutes here, we're all gonna leave this building today. But God, I pray that you would send us with a power and a desire to become more like you through the teachings of your word, through everything we talked about through the series. God, may our faith be high and may our fear be low. Thank you so much for your son Jesus and for what he did for us on the cross. It's in his name I pray, amen.